We're eternally card counting and we're sending a marksman after Spencer. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect. And this is Offscreen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. Welcome to Offscreen, another week, an interesting royal week of movies, shall we say. Uh, there is a, there's some uh, royalty when it comes to the Marvel Universe, and there's some royalty being portrayed by Kristen Stewart as well. So we are going to kick off, though, with a Liam Neeson movie. Liam Neeson is kind of get, getting a bit Taken-esque, but also that is happening out in the wild, wild west. Uh, we are <laughs> seeing him in the... I know, it's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? So The Marksman is out on Amazon Prime this weekend, and it is, uh, it is following the story of a rancher on the Arizona border who... Hmm basically meets this young uh, mother and her son who essentially get caught up with the cartel and are getting chased by them. And unfortunately, the mother perishes and he becomes the unlikely defender of the Mexican son. You are Border Patrol? Marine Corps. Uh, <laughs> so you are keeping your country safe all by yourself, huh? Marine Corps? Something like that. I'm a soldier too. My orders are to take them back with me. <laughs> They're no soldier. And I don't scare easy. Now, I've already called the cavalry, so I suggest you all just turn around and adios. So this is, you know, the, when, when you hear the concept Liam Neeson does the Mexican border, especially after yeah. some of the things he's said and done the last few years, you kind of brace yourself for the worst. And that clip does not help when you some, hear some of the stereotyping going on there. But the film actually isn't like that. I think I texted you shortly after after you told me you'd watched yeah. it. I thought it was like a Poundland Clint Eastwood movie. But it's not yeah. inherently bad. I, I, I did no. enjoy it. Yeah, and uh, the thing that I've got about this is it's a formula we've seen time mm. and time again where, you know, older guy, bit of a loner, his wife has sadly died, he's yeah. trying to live the quiet life, something happens and he gets lumbered with the kid. And yeah. then, like, they go on this, like, road trip journey together like to try and protect the kid. It's a chase movie, isn't it? Kind of like a chase movie. Really. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I mean, you probably heard from that, that, that clip, like, I, I love the, like, hearing the Mexican accents and stuff in this movie. I think that stuff really, uh, it, it, it's kind of, to me, there's a brutality around the whole cartel side of things, but it's not as, it's not like Sicario brutal, if that makes sense. It's kind yeah. of, it, it kind of holds back a little bit, which is probably why you wanted it to have a little bit more oomph. You wanted it either to go one of two ways. You wanted it to have an oomph and be incredibly gritty from a cartel perspective, or you wanted Liam Neeson to go proper taken Liam Neeson where we're almost having a little bit of a giggle about it. Um, it's that kind of it's that kind of thing that it doesn't quite hit each of those highs in a way. He does have his moments, though. There are a couple of moments where you do get a bit of that vintage action Neeson, which is a sentence I can't believe I now get to say out loud after 15 years. <laughs> vintage action Neeson. Um, there's a couple of moments like that. But for me, the thing that's missing, I think it is in the writing. It does feel, mm. like you say, to the formula, and it does feel like the formula is written with more of a priority than characters in the story in a sense yeah there are points in it though where i did have to admire some things where they did they do show but don't tell and then they just tell you anyway and you're like why are you tell me when you've shown me they do a great bit for instance where they set up his marine corps backstory for instance 
through purely through the you know the idea of tattoos and background imagery and things like that, only to then have him go on a diatribe and explain it to you like you've just done this. Have have give your audience some credit. Have some respect for the audience. Assume yeah. that they're not idiots. Assume that you're getting a Clint Eastwood crowd in this. And yeah, other than that, I think it it works perfectly fine. It's a three star movie, but mm. you saw this on Sky Cinema for us. You're gonna see this on Amazon Prime. I mean, yeah. you're gonna see this realistically for the first time on Amazon Prime, and it kind of belongs there. It's perfectly suited to that. I don't think yeah, you're it's in its right home. Yeah, you're not gonna complain. No, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think you know, if this is a if you're staying in at the weekend and you're chilling out, this is a perfect kind of watch for that. It's easy. It's short. I think it's only like an hour and a half long or mm. something like that. So it's nothing nothing too taxing. And you know, if you like Liam Neeson movies, you kind of know what you're gonna get. Oh, it's an hour and forty eight, but you oh. kind of know what you're gonna get from it. And this doesn't disappoint, but it doesn't surprise either. Is what I'd say about this. So that's the Marksman on Amazon Prime, uh, which is out uh, this weekend. So let's move over. I did say it was a bit of a royal affair and I think everyone <laughs> is buzzing about um, the performance that critics have loved and have touted as the next possible Oscar winner. It's Kristen Stewart in Spencer. Van, take it away. So this is the latest movie from Pablo Lorraine, who I think most 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 recently did Jackie with uh, Natalie Portman. Yep. Was that like 20? I want to say feels like it was 2017, but I'm sure I'm going to find out it was 2019 or something. Um, <clears throat> this is a very comparable movie, but this feels like what happens if you uh, take the uh, take the fans of Jackie too close to heart and then just indulge them. We're going to see a lot of this when Ghostbusters comes out in a few weeks, I suspect. But this is the story. It's set over Christmas. Uh, I forget which year it is. In the late, it's, it's in the late 80s. When uh, Diana and Charles's marriage was first properly on the rocks, like it was, it was all out there and the rage was going on in France, um, this is shortly before the grand divorce, and it is just her life at the palace over Christmas break, over like a couple of days of Christmas. And to be honest with you, that's about as much plot as I can give you, because beyond that, it really doesn't have any. And at the centre of it all is Kristen Stewart, with what I can only describe as this just out-and-out bonkers, but very good, but bonkers performance. Yeah, have a listen. Man. They are about to open a bed. It's coming. Mummy, why do we have to open our presents on Christmas Eve? Why not Christmas Day like everybody else? You know, at school you do tenses. Yeah. yeah. It's the past, the present, the future. Right. Well, here, there is only one tense. There is no future. The past and the present are the same thing. Do they take quite an avant-garde sort of direction with this movie? I, I've heard something along those lines, and it's kind of yeah. put me off initially. Yeah, there's, there's a there's a feeling to this at times where I sat and thought, I wonder what would happen if Yorgos Lantimos had uh, had oh. directed this instead, and we'd gotten something like because if you'd applied the sort of mentality of the favourite to this, I feel mm. like you would have come up with an absolute mess. You could have kept Kristen Stewart. So I want to say that straight off the bat. Like, I am not anti-Kristen Stewart on this. Like, the second they announced Kristen Stewart was going to be doing this movie, I thought, great, you know what? Accent aside, which I'm sure she'll nail, and don't get me wrong, she mostly does, I feel like she's got the acting shots, she's got the physical presence, she's certainly got the look to, to pull off Diana, as we saw when the first photos came out, we were all like, oh, she doesn't she look exactly like Diana? She's got that down. And you can tell that had she been given a very different kind of direction 
it would have landed a lot better. She feels out of step with the movie. Both the movie and her performance are bonkers, but they're different kinds of bonkers, and they don't necessarily work together. And that's before you get to certain very ghoulish elements within the film itself. But particularly, I mean, it has been framed in such a way as to depict the royal family as outnumbered villains. The Queen and Charles in particular, as well as the household staff, the household staff are depicted as being monsters to them. Uh, It's incredible. I mean, I I kept waiting for a cameo by some guy named Paul to show up, like being her BFF. (laughs) You know, just just get James Corden in to play Paul Burrell for five minutes. Or don't. Or don't, don't, yeah. (laughs) But to be fair, the film is so out there and nuts that you kind of, you wouldn't be surprised if if James Corden did show up and play Paul Burrell. Um... It's, it's let me dumb. let me ask you let me ask you this then okay so the critics love it yeah uh, so why do you think the critics love it it's a boring ass one hour 51 minute pablo lorraine movie about the royal family of course okay. the critics love it we'll we'll have we'll have the reverse of this conversation in the next block when we talk about the other big release of the week but mm. it is a film that like i say it's dull we were checking our watches 20 minutes in and right. there's a very very specific subset of critics that, I'm sorry, we're giving this five stars before they walk through the door. And you could see it on their faces. You could you could literally see it as they were buttoning up their cardigans to sit down. You know, you know what movie this is. This is a movie no member of the general public is going to see outside of the real royalists and your grandparents. You're never going to hear about it again until it comes to best costuming at the BAFTAs next year. That's the end of it. I think she might get a token best actress nomination in that same way that you know Natalie Portman was was Jackie. But let's be honest, this is not the awards baby anyone thinks it's going to be because it's rubbish. I'm sorry, it's, it's rubbish. I, I will say the most deranged thing, <clears throat> the most deranged thing I've ever gotten to say about a film. I thought the Naomi Watts Diana movie was more fun. I enjoyed wow. that more. I thought that was genuinely more entertaining. A, ba- a bad movie done well <laughs> is better yeah. than a good movie done badly. Well, well, bad movie yeah. done well, was Bad movie done bad. Um, yeah, because yeah, I was going to ask. Yeah, because I was going to ask that there are lots of f- fans of the crown, and mm. you know, like, well, those those people might naturally migrate across to this, and maybe that. No, 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 but they might do out of curiosity. Well, I mean, they're not, However, not a chance they're going to enjoy it. They're, 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 I right. think they're going to come away something very different. What you want is something like the crown. Yeah. What you yeah, get is. That's what is, I'd want out of this. Yeah. What you get is Jackie on lithium. If you can imagine such a thing. But do you know what? It's out there. You can make up your minds for yourself. I personally don't recommend you do. But, uh, I mean, you could you could, you could could call the people. You could you could not see the film and call it a piece of crap or, and save time. Or you could see it and still ultimately come out and call it a piece of crap. So that's Spencer in cinemas now. In my opinion, rubbish. Welcome back to Off Screen. We're keeping you cinematic and we're keeping you... On your couch in the cinema and watching something that is very much an Oscar Isaac movie, is what I would say. Um, The (laughs) card counter is what we've got coming up next for you. This is a brooding, interesting movie, which plays perfectly to, I suppose, Oscar Isaac's strengths, but will surprise you a little bit about Tiffany Haddish, Hmm. I think. Don't you you think, Van? I I will be honest, Tiffany Haddish is my weak link in the film. I was going to say, I I thought you were building up to say that about Ty Sheridan, but... That too. Yeah, yeah. Ty Sheridan, who's delivering like mud level drama here, but we're getting past it. He's a mysterious. We don't. We want to be too careful about. So I've very specifically chosen the clip for this, is to not give too much away. We have Oscar Isaac as a mysterious loner, 
who goes mm-hmm. into casinos, counts cards. He's obviously an ex-con. He tells us that right off the bat. He has served time. While he's been in prison, he's learned to count cards because that's how he's kept saying numbers and routine are his are his baby. And he goes into casinos, he bets a very specific set of rules, and he finds himself befriending the young son of a former a former friend slash colleague from earlier in his life. Don't want to get too much into it. Yeah. And takes him under his wing, and this relationship not only takes him into a whole new level of gambling that he's previously ignored, his rules prohibit him from, from taking on, but also sends him into this sort of makeshift family unit with both Ty Sheridan's younger character and Tiffany Haddish, who's a sort of a, a ringleader of a sort of, what are they called, a gambling incubator, I think they call them, where they get investors to, to basically back poker players? Yeah, I, th- I was going to say, is she a bit like um, Jessica Chastain's character? Like like in, um, oh, what was that movie where she uh, runs like... Molly's Game, Molly's Game. Molly's Game, yeah. Was it something like that? I don't know if it's something along like those that. lines or if it's something a little bit more sort of straight down the line, but... No, these regardless. are more these are more straight financial these are more like investors. Yeah. She she yeah. manages the investors who basically give you the stake money to play in the poker game and you give them a percentage of your your win. I think it is called an incubator. But take uh, it is all about the drama that unfolds. It's, it's like a dramatic thriller. I'll let Oscar Isaac take you away on this one as he uh, he describes in in nicely vague terms certain things from his past. And am I trying to justify what we did? No. Nothing. Nothing can justify what we did. Your father understood that. If you were there, you could understand. Otherwise, there's no understanding. You can even tell from that clip when I say it's brooding. Like even the dialogue is is slow. It's 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 like it's got the pace for it. It's you know it's also coupled with very dark interiors and there's almost. I said to you, Van. I said it reminded me a bit like Nightcrawler in a way. There's like a purple haze at some points. There's kind of this darkness about it, which just is slightly eerie. Now they do have lots of flashback scenes. We're not going to go into detail as to what they are, but even. Even the way that they are um, shots. I mean, incredible. Yeah. Visually, they're ex- the flashbacks really t- take you on a ride. Uh, like you said about the Nightcrawler thing, I think I replied to you at times probably because Paul Schrader wrote Taxi Driver and Taxi Driver and Nightcrawler are so similar that you can yeah. sort of see where you would you your mind like subconsciously would naturally naturally links the two. And so this is Paul Schrader writing and directing, and that's not necessarily ever a good thing. Um, Full, full Schrader's, I think the, I remember watching The Canyons eight years ago, which was meant to be the sort of career revival of Lindsay Lohan, which was written by Brett Easton Ellis and directed by Paul Schrader. And it was just a quintessentially Paul Schrader movie in that the man loves human misery and he likes probing the depravity of the human condition of fractured psyches. And it shows when you look at his work. I mean, Willem Dafoe turns up here. He has something of a, a, a frequent pattern of working with Willem Dafoe. He did Dog Eat Dog with Dafoe mm. and Nicholas Cage mm. like five, four, five years ago. This is, for my money, the best movie Paul Schrader has ever directed. I think the performances in it are great. I don't think Haddish is bad, but she is the weak link. 
I, 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 I get what that. you're saying with that. I just think it's quite nice to not see her play like the classic comedy character that she she kind of does. And I think it's quite nice to have her in a bit of a more dramatic role. But she is like she hasn't got she's there because it's like a block reason for her mm. to be there. She's not there with a huge purpose. Um, she kind of just plugs plugs a gap in a way, which. Uh, but that's not her fault. I think that's just no. what the character is. Um, but yeah, look, for me, I think overall, I think it's a solid film. I think you've got to be in the mood to watch this one. Like, you know, it, 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 it's slow. It, it, it's slow. It's brooding. It plays out like those those flashback sequences as well. They, they're they quite surreal. Like they almost look like a bit of a kaleidoscope, you know, yeah. when you're looking at one of those, the way it's shot. It's an interesting um, yeah, it's an interesting piece of cinematography for that. But overall, I think I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say it blew me away. Um, I think for me, when I'm thinking of gambling and high stakes, I do like a film like Molly's Game, something that's quite yeah. fast paced and a bit sort of, you know, fantastical in a way. And that's the only thing I'd say kind of took me away from this one. Well, I say, I mean, you can you can see this, uh, see this one for yourself. This is in cinemas on, on, on digital, I think, uh, as of uh, today. Um, one that you can only see in cinemas, however. And I do recommend that you seek out the biggest screen possible for this one, because we are talking Dune-level scope with this, is uh, the new Marvel movie, Eternals, directed by none other than Chloe Zhao. Remember that that Oscar-winning director from uh, earlier this year for oh, maybe, Nomadland? Maybe, maybe. She might <laughs> ring a bell, yeah. Um, well, it turns out that uh, shortly before... Uh, they released Nomadland and she won an Oscar. She had also mostly wrapped production on this. I think they did reshoots over COVID. This is the story of the Eternals, who are effectively Marvel's gods. You know the ancient aliens theory? Well, Stargate fans obviously know it inside now, but the ancient alien theory is that aliens came to Earth and built the pyramids and the Mayan temples and the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, etc. This is what happens if they were actually Marvel heroes 7,000 <laughs> years ago, saving the you know, primitive man from an alien race known as the Deviants. And of course, after a certain number of thousands of years, they have a strict non-interference policy. It's like the Prime Directive in Star Trek. You can't interfere yeah. in the, the evolution of human beings. They find loopholes and cheat their way around this. Uh, like one of them is a tech guy, for instance, he occasionally helps people in the human race out with certain advancements, which of course leads to a certain incident in the 1940s at the end of World War II that makes for really great cinema, I'm not gonna lie. Um, and has an all-star cast that includes Gemma Chan, Angelina Jolie, Salma Hayek, Richard Madden, Kumail Nanjiani, Kit Harrington. The, the list is, is, is quite long. And the idea here is that it's now the present day. The Deviants have returned after thousands of years and the Eternals themselves have disbanded. They, they're waiting to be picked up. They're just waiting for a lift home. They're just, they've gone their own separate ways, done their own thing. And of course, when the Deviants return, they have to band back together. They have to re-team and save the human race. I've got a clip for you just to, to give you some context on this one. This is Kumail Nanjiani's character of Kingo, whose disguise has been to become a Bollywood actor and to effectively stage his own death every 20 or 30 years and then turn up again playing his own adult son. So he is part of a Bollywood lineage and this is what happens when his comrades turn up on a film set in which he has just finished staging an elaborate Bollywood number. Cut! Okay, everyone, that was good. I think we can do 10% better. That was beautiful. Very, very good. Ah! <laughs> My friends from college are here. Oh, boss! Perfect timing. Welcome to the set of Shandar Dastane Icarus. I'm playing you. 
You like the costume? We need to talk. Tell the director I have some notes for him. We need to talk to you in private. Oh, Karan, he's worked with me for 50 years. I trust him completely. Actually, when we first met, he thought I was a vampire, and he tried to stake me through the heart. I have apologized so many times. Not quite enough times. Very close, though. I'll let you know. Oh, I have to get ready for the next scene. Come to my tent. We'll talk there. <laughs> um, so, okay, so when I have a few little gripes with the big ensemble pieces from Marvel is because it's just too much going on, mm. and I need to kind of set my brain to know exactly who these people are and what they're doing. Now, in this one, we haven't really met any of these characters before. So does your is it easy to kind of get to grips with each and every one of them, or is this kind of a bit of a confusing bubble of Marvel madness? No, I will say the characters are quite quickly and very well clearly defined. I am not overly familiar with the Eternals. This is, this is not a brand that I know of, but this is kind of like when Guardians of the Galaxy came out. This is taking a gamble. Um, this is effectively Guardians of the Galaxy in sort of the, the scale and scope of Doom is the best way to say mm. This movie literally takes place over it's either five or seven, it's 5,000 years. As in, we literally, you know, you, we have scenes set in the gardens of Babylon, and, you know, all Mesopotamia and Tika Tiklan and all, everything. And somehow the most amusing part of it is still the fact they stage an action sequence just outside Camden Market with great <laughs> scope and scale. Somehow keep the scope and scale going as well. I thought this was a blast. I think genuinely, if you took a member of the general public and asked them, having seen both of these, just a member, just anyone off the street and said, which is about a movie, this or Nomadland, you find me one who says Nomadland and I'll show you a bald-faced liar or a mm. film critic. Or a film critic so actually on that, on that note, because you yeah. said like, so for Spencer, you were like, you hated it, critics loved it, but you yeah. think it's going to be the opposite with this movie. Why do you think that is? Because I think it is just this big, honking, humorous adventure. And noticeably, there's a lot of humor in it that has been kept almost entirely out of the marketing. There are scene stealers in there. Kumail, as you can hear from the clip, has a great time. His valet, Karun, also gets some scene stealing moments. Gemma Chan makes for a really likable lead. And I want to see more of her in this capacity. I want to see more movies with Gemma Chan in the lead. I'm going to wrap it up because we're really pushed for time. I say, see this on the biggest, biggest screen you can. I saw it on an IMAX screen in the Science Museum and I thought it was tremendous. And I, I loved it. I absolutely, I can't wait to see it. I'm taking Miriam and the kids to see this next week because I just, mm. I desperately have to see this. I just, I want to soak this up again. And like you say about the ensemble being, you know, it's quite a large, it's a 10 character ensemble. It's the second longest Marvel movie. It's two hours and 37 minutes long. It's just shy of, it's only about half an hour shy of Endgame which is the only one that had more characters. But to be fair, I think it deserves it. I think it's a riot. I think it's a blast. I think it's a tremendous movie. I think it's in the top third of Marvel movies. I think it's great. And now it's time for a segment we like to call Off Screen Pays the Bills. Hey, Bex. Hey, Van. What's going on? <laughs> hey, nothing going on but the rent. You know how it is. Oh, that I do. That I do. And you know what? The weekend's coming up. I'm thinking about maybe staying in, chilling out, staying cosy. What have you got for me? Is there something I can be doing? Well, do you know what? Funnily enough, our sponsors this week have got you covered. They've got well, actually a very fun way to spend. I'm actually holding up the game in front of you. I'm, I'm, we are talking, of course, about Marvel's Dice 
Throne. So, Marvel's Dice Throne is... Uh, in fact, you might have heard of Dice Throne. So, there's Dice Throne's been around. You know, it's a, a fun sort of dice-based board game. You, you select a bunch of heroes. In this case, this is a new Marvel edition. So, you pick from... You traditionally pick from any of, like, eight characters. In this case, you can pick from any of eight Marvel characters to face off with other players on this game. You play against one another, and you basically see who gets the right to uh, to take the throne. So, normally, it's an cool. old-school throne. Now, this is a special Marvel throne. And the way this works is you, you strategically roll your dice to earn different abilities and to earn different hero cards. And if you get different hero cards, you can get different power levels and upgrade your, your, your character and your hero. And believe it or not, I hadn't encountered the game prior to now. And uh, I, have been, I have been introduced to the wonderful world of, of Dice Throne. And uh, I'm forever terrified that I'm, I'm now going to lose a significant chunk of my uh, of, of my years of my prime to this game. So I'd like to thank our sponsors for that. And you can thank them yourself in the meanwhile by actually pre-ordering the Marvel Dice Throne game on Kickstarter. And you can find that by going to kickstarter.com. The full link is in the, is in the description for this episode. And that's Marvel Dice Throne, to which I will now be losing way more of my life. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to Offscreen. We're now sending you straight to your couch to watch some great movies on your telly box. And we are kicking off with your Saturday late afternoon movie, I'd call them. And in fact, we're going to give you a double bill of two great yeah. movies on great movies at 4.45pm. So this is Sister Act and Sister Act 2 back in the habit. Yes, Dolores Van Cartier is giving us that double bill of brilliantness. Um, and uh, I have to say these are two of my films that I would always watch again and again and again as a kid but I controversially do love Sister Act 2 back in the habit more so than I love Sister Act so yeah I know I know but I you know young Lauren Hill she's just got an amazing voice I love the kind of um the, the feel of the school in it and uh, you, know, mm. you know what I could watch both of them for days I will say I think Sister Act 2 gets, gets under never gets mentioned in the pamphlet when, when anyone's asked like what are the best sequels it is strange that Sister Act 2 never seems to get mentioned because regardless yeah, of which great. one you prefer Sister Act 2 is a bloody good sequel but uh, yeah. the thing is my, my, my issue in comparison is the second one the first one skews older so the, the plot, because this will cue into our clip, involves, uh, as you say, Dolores Van Cartier, did you say is her, her full Dolores name? Dolores Van Cartier, uh, yes. Dolores Van Cartier, played by Whoopi Goldberg, who I miss in movies so much. I miss Whoopi. Oh, big time. Get and, off the uh, view, Whoopi, and get into movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Narrow your view and focus it back on cinema, for God's sake. Anyway, um, she's, the, she's a Vegas lounge singer, I think, who, uh, or... Yeah. or Atlantic City lounge singer who um, finds herself being hunted by the mob represented by Harvey Keitel another thing we forget about the first one and in order to be put into protective custody is basically seconded to a seminary she is taken in and basically disguised as a nun under the auspicious gaze of none other than the great one and only Maggie Smith just hope you don't think I'm going to wear what I wore in Catholic school. No serene, no ugly green jumpers for me and those stupid clunky shoes. Oh, with this gold thing, could you have a dry clean for me? Open the cabinet to your left. You will find suitable attire. Oh, cool. Ah! Oh, no, 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 no. I can't do this. I'm sorry. This is fine for covering a little bowls, but now I've got holster hips. People wish to kill you. Anyone who's met you, I imagine. A disguise is necessary to protect us all. And while you are here, you will conduct yourself as a nun. 
Only I will know who and what you truly are. You will draw no attention to yourself whatsoever. But look at me. I'm a nun. I'm a, I'm a penguin. As from now and until you leave, you are Sister Mary Clarence. Oh, Sister Mary Clarence. And also Maggie Smith, who always looks the same age for the last 20 to 30 <laughs> does, years. Yeah. yeah, she does. Um, so that is our Sister Act and Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, on Great Movies at 4.45pm. Let's move swiftly on to one of the greatest teen movies ever. Oh, yeah. uh, 10 Things I Hate About You is also on Great Movies because it is a great movie at 5 o'clock on Sunday. Now, we're not going to go into too much detail about this just now for time's sakes, but Heath Ledger... Oh, what a dream. This is just the one of the funniest, quick, uh, quick-wittedest uh, movies that you can uh, you can watch out there. Still so quotable. It's basically an adaptation of The Taming of the Shrew, isn't it? It's The Taming of the Shrew. And also, say you say the breakout role for uh, Heath Ledger. I think he had, I think this was his first proper American role. Like, he'd been a, teen, yeah. a child and teen actor in Australia. And this was him <clears throat> coming over. As you say, one of the most quotable comedies of the late 90s. I still, to this day, quote Gabrielle Union a lot in reviews when I say I know you can be overwhelmed or underwhelmed but can you ever just be whelmed oh isn't yeah. that from is that Gabrielle Union in that or is that Ty as it uh, Brittany Murphy in uh, in Clueless no no that is definitely Gabrielle Union in, in this one yeah tr- trust okay, me because I'm, 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 I'm low-key obsessed with Gabrielle Union in this oh. movie trust well, me listen, it's Gabrielle l- Union I tell you what as well with this movie killer soundtrack on this so, oh yeah um, yeah, you'd absolutely love this. This is definitely in our C- uh, CD collection as kids. Uh, so that's on Great Movies, 10 Things I Hate, hate About You. That is going to brighten up your Sunday. I'm definitely going to chill out and watch that movie uh, this weekend. Uh, moving on to Monday, uh, ITV3, 8pm. We've got Dad's Army, the new version of Dad's Army, not the original series that we're going to play for you back to back. No, it is the new version, which I didn't mind. Did you enjoy this, fan? I didn't mind it. It's, it's, it's I'm, I'm not. I don't know Dad's Army, and the movie adaptation didn't do an awful lot to sort of sway me. Over to, oh yeah, I could totally watch an entire series. This is one of those cultural things where growing up outside the UK, you don't get exposed. This kind of like me and Morgan Wise, and mm. uh, I thought the casting of this was quite good. I think it's uh, Toby Jones in the in the lead. I think we've got Daniel Mays, yeah. uh, Catherine Tate Jones is in there as well. Bill Nye, obviously, good cast, and they're obviously having a laugh, and that does translate. You do have a good giggle with them. And it's not an inherently bad movie. I think it's a little, it's a little weak sauce. It's a little formulaic. It's a little. Oh, it's a three-star movie. Yeah, it's a good 8 p.m. ride, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, it's one of those movies that I think you know a certain vintage will want to go and watch this just to see it. So you <laughs> one, know, one for those your, who one, might one for enjoy parents. Yeah, ones that, that enjoy the uh, you know the next. Uh, the next best Marigold Hotel, that Mm. kind of movie. Um, So that's Dad's Army. That's on ITV3, 8pm. Let's move on to Tuesday. This is your pick, Van. Let's see what you got here. ITV4, 10.50pm. I I, I love this comedy. It's a comedy that I find very rewatchable. And I go back to over and over again. And again, very quotable as well. And it combines two things that should never, ever be combined. Kiss and live action roleplay. It is, of course, Role Models from 2008, starring Sean William Scott and Paul Rudd, the ageless Paul Rudd. Uh, complains, <laughs> uh, contains the greatest rant anyone has ever thrown about Starbucks. And it is about two energy drinks, energy drinks sales executives who, um, after a road rage incident, are sentenced to community service that they then serve out as effectively participants in the Big Brother program. Where they have to, they, they become mentors, they individually become mentors to, you know, disadvantaged youths or kids who, you know, lack fathers in their lives or anything like that. And the bad influence that they 
you know, visually exert, but actually the heart that they bring to them. Um, I've got a clip for you of uh, Jane Lynch, the one and only Jane Lynch. I adore Jane Lynch as, so uh, as the, uh, the head of this, uh, this program. Uh, basically just letting them know exactly where they stand. Well, well, well. But isn't Mr. Doctor, I'm full of In what way are we full of Which one of us has the PhD? So how was your first weekend with the boys? It was great. We did 14 hours. Will you sign our sheets? Maybe give us a few more just for kicks? Round it up to 50? Don't you sass me. What, do you think I'm a pushover? You know what I used to eat for breakfast? Cocaine. You know what I used to eat for lunch? Cocaine. What'd you have for dinner? Was it cocaine? I will sign your sheets, but you need to know I am not here to service your hours. I'm here to service these young boys. Oh, Jane Lynch, you know, <laughs> just, do you know what? She always, she was, she was a scene stealer in Glee every single time as well. Like, I know, think this is so why good. she got Glee. I mean, I'm, I'm convinced because of the timing, because I think Glee is a year later. I feel yeah. like this might be the thing that someone looked at when give her Glee, she'll, she'll kill on yeah, that. To be fair, she'll absolutely she did. kill it, yeah. Yeah, she really so, did. So that, yeah, that is Role Models on ITV at 10.50pm. Let's move on to your Wednesday van. Yep, we're going back to great movies at 7pm. Uh, we, we had a real lack of options for Wednesday, so believe me, I am scraping the barrel with this, but I managed to I find think I passed the buck over one. to you. you. You really did. We've got a similar <laughs> thing going on the following night, but I can make more of an argument for the following night. Uh, we're going to be talking though about Here Comes the Boom, best remembered as the Kevin James MMA comedy in which his love interest is Salma Hayek because there is no God in cinema has to make money. So uh, Kevin James is the, I think he's the music teacher? He's the music teacher who, in order to get the budget to save his struggling high school, becomes an MMA fighter. And the movie's literally named for the POD song that he literally enters the octagon to. It's not exactly reinventing the wheel. It stars Kevin James. I mean, come on! But it's yeah. perfectly serviceable, fun, and we were kind of right about, because this is like 2011, 2012, we were kind of right for an MMA comedy about them. I think because we, as far as I remember, we've only really had one wrestling comedy, and that was from 1999. That was Ready to Rumble with David Arquette and Scott Carr. So it's kind of amazing they took about a decade and a half to get around to doing MMA as well. Um, as you'd expect, there's cameos from, from you know known fighters, etc. Decent little chuckles from soundtrack. Kevin James doing loads of slapstick pratfalls and things like that. You know what you're getting, 7 p.m. on great movies. It's one of those you can watch with the kids. It's not an especially threatening movie in that regard. But you know what, you'll have a few chuckles. Yes, you <laughs> Yes, you will. Um, you'll have a few chuckles and I think, well, do you know what? It wasn't my cup of tea. I'm not a massive Kevin James fan either. And so I don't think this is one that I'm gonna rush to go and see, but you know, there's plenty of people out there that do that do enjoy that. So look, let's move swiftly on from that to um, to one that I think you said you could make an argument for a little bit more. This is on Thursdays, ITV4, nine o'clock. God, I can't even remember RoboCop 2, let alone RoboCop 3. Where are we at in the RoboCop okay. saga? So RoboCop 3 is the one with the jetpack. That's how you remember it. The one with the jetpack right. and the one where his the arm is a gun. Yeah, the jetpack and the arm Noted. gun is how you remember. The one where he fights a robot ninja. That's how you remember it's RoboCop 3. He fights a robot, a robot ninja Sam. I'm not sure. But this is the culmination of the, the, the core narrative arc of the RoboCop story, which is, you know, 
all about Delta City and OCP, and this is you know the people rising up. It's very similar in a lot of regards, and something we've I've not I've yet to read a think piece on. Uh, to the Dark Knight Rises, like you can draw a direct comparison between the two. Wow. They're very, very similar in a lot of ways, uh, in terms of how they represent the masses rising up and stuff like that, and also where the character is at that point. Is he past it? Does he still serve a function? Can he find? Can he get back to you know, the essence of what makes him valuable? Um, I think it's worthwhile. I do think there are things to like in Robocop, not the least of which is the great CCH Pounder as the leader of the uh, the, the rising old Detroit underground. Worth it for that. And uh, also, another thing that never gets mentioned anymore, Bradley Whitford is in this movie, and he has a great supporting role. Good old brothers. But on, of course, to a 1992 classic. It is the second cinematic outing for Jack Ryan. Uh, It is the first reboot of Jack Ryan, because I think we're on the fifth or sixth one of those now. And this is the first time that Harrison Ford played Jack Ryan. We'd had The Hunt for Red October two years earlier, in which he'd been played by Alec Baldwin. This is Jack Ryan takes his family on a business trip to London, only for them to happen to be around when the IRA try to assassinate the royal family. And Jack Ryan, being Jack Ryan, just, you know, does the hero thing, steps in, gets in the way, and kills a guy who it turns out is the brother of the big bad, the leader of this rogue IRA cell, played by a particularly vengeful Sean Bean. Three guesses what Sean Bean's mission in life then turns out to be. I'll give you a clip of Harrison Ford investigating this. Rose, what do you have? No, there's nothing like that. Right, yeah. We didn't get any prints or anything like that. Listen, so we're kind of who are we looking for here? Huh? IRA terrorists or some ultra-violent faction of the IRA fighting the cause their way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy O'Reilly checked into a hotel with a woman with long hair. Long red hair. This is who we should be looking for. We find her. We'll find him. This is worth it just for Richard Harris as the leader of the IRA, I'm not going to lie. Fair enough, fair enough. You kind of get lost in who's playing Jack Ryan. There's been so many iterations of it. Anyway, that is Patriot Games on 5 USA at 9pm, and that is rounding off your your next weekend. And when we come back, we're going to bring you lots of DVD, Blu-ray and streaming. Welcome back for one last ride off screen. And as always, the DVD and Blu-ray aisle beckons, or the virtual one, if you're like me and you're too lazy to actually leave the house. Uh, but on DVD and Blu-ray this week, you can find a new adaptation of a Jojo Moyers novel. I remember, I think the last one we had before this was uh, Me Before You with Amelia Oh, I Clark. love that. Everyone love loves that. Me Before You. It's a classic weepy, modern classic. Well, this one is not going to get remembered anywhere near <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're like a Waterstones employee, I don't think you're going to see this in anywhere near the same light. Uh, Felicity Jones, took me ages to remember her name now, I'm not going to lie, is the, uh, she's the newspaper journalist who finds a series of letters belonging to someone who used to work at the paper. She investigates and starts to look into the forbidden love story depicted therein, which we are then shown in flashbacks as played by Shailene Woodley. I'm Ellie Howarth from the London Chronicle. Everything's ready for you. Spectacular. While I was researching my next feature, I came across a letter. 1965, illicit love affair. I write these words with you in mind and my heart swells. I've known nothing like this before. I don't know how I feel about my life. You have a rich, handsome husband. I will never be satisfied with just a part of you. We could be happy. 
so happy. My husband wants us to return to London immediately. What do you want? Do you know what? I just, I just didn't. Shailene Woodley and who's the guy in it who plays her lover in this? I honestly you know. don't remember now. It wasn't well, like a known commodity, was it? it? Yeah. Well, do you know what? That speaks volumes because for me, like when you're watching a movie like this, you want to kind of fall in love with those two characters, right? And their relationship mm. and start rooting for them. And, you know, and I just didn't get any of that in this. I mean, Felicity Jones is fine, but it's a really functional character herself. Yeah, and that's probably a charitable me, way of describing it, I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, she, I, I don't know why she took this role, but... um. And for me, it's that classic, like almost like Sunday afternoon. If it's there, you might just watch it whilst you're doing some other work in the background. You know, you might just have it on in the telly. On the telly. But for me, this is not something you run out and try and, and try and get and have to watch as soon as you get it. It's 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 there on the DVD aisle, but it's probably in the bargain basement, is what I'd say. <laughs> I think this this will sell a few copies come Mother's Day. I think when it's reduced in the uh. supermarket aisle for Mother's Day next year, I think they'll shift a few copies. I think it was released around that time as well. Uh, but you know, what? it doesn't hold a candle to the other movie out on DVD and Blu-ray this next week, which is Timothy Spall in the last. Bus, which Ooh, I, I remember thought was you. Great. Yeah, remember? Yeah, this, yeah, you told me actually, how great this was. I think Last Letter from Your Lover and The Last Bus came out on the same week, uh, you know, new release as well. So we reviewed them both on the same week. Um, he is the the new, the recently widowed man who has, uh, you know, he's, he's been living in Scotland most of his life, having fled there with his wife on a bus journey way back in the day, following the death of their, their infant child. And following his wife's passing, decides to repeat the bus journey, you know, do the return journey, as it were, to take her back and spread her ashes back where they were. And it's absolutely wonderful. I thought this was a genuinely beautiful film. I think Spall is, inc- I mean, when he's Spall, not incredible. He, he's he's mm. wonderful in this. I, I just, I was just an emotional bucket. I was just, I was just buckets of tears. I was an emotional wreck after this it was this was just incredible i really love this movie i I cannot recommend high enough you check out the last bus doesn't look like much you pick up the dvd box it doesn't look like much but just trust me just buy it put it on little box of magic yeah don't touch this book by its cover because the poster's rubbish just put it on and just have tissues ready honestly it's it's a ride this one it really is but uh, alas that's dvd and blu-ray let's go over to streaming them back what we got we got one on netflix on tuesday i think we do we have the curse of la lorna which is on netflix from tuesday next week um this is like is this part of the conjuring series like a spin-off like i've not seen it actually yeah yeah if I'd have known that, I would have probably rushed to go and watch it because I'm such a fan of the Conjuring series, but I still haven't caught it yet. So I'm glad it's coming out on Netflix. That'll be a good one, a good little scary one. They should have brought this out in time for Halloween, but hey. A no. week earlier, yeah, I uh, know, would have been good. Yeah, yeah. But um, what's it What's it all about? Because I, I yeah, like I say, I had no idea that this was a, in association with that, that universe, that... Um, the universe that is the conjuring. So the curse of La Llorona is. I mean, it was first of all, it was it was a secret spin-off. So they they I think they mm. they only announced that it was part of the conjuring universe. Something like a fortnight before it came out. No 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 one really heard of the movie before then. It was it was just some forgettable throwaway horror movie that Warner Brothers were chucking out for some reason. And then the last minute, they said, oh by the way, it's a conjuring movie. And you're like, oh okay, fine, I'll see it then. Uh, stars <laughs> Carmen Argianziano, I think the late Carmen Argianziano, who's since passed, I think. Um, and he's he already was already in the franchise, so he is an existing character from the series. Uh, this this time, the uh, mother of the put upon family is Linda Cardellini, and somehow I still didn't like this movie. Uh, and wow. it is stan- standard family dealing with you know evil spirit. Here's a priest. Let's do a curse. Let's let's you know exercise the demon, dispel the curse. 
Here's the Conjuring logo and the flash of Annabelle counts as a cameo. The end. If you're a fan of the series and you're a completist, it's there and you can see it from Wednesday, yeah, from Tuesday, sorry, the 9th. You're selling it the, so well, Van. <laughs> do the more we talk about, the less enthused I am that it exists, if I'm honest, which is less right. than I can say about Passing, which we talked about last week, mm. uh, which is the uh, the uh, adaptation of the uh, Noel Thorne novel, which, you know, is... We thought we I think we both thought it was very good and had great performances yeah, from Ruth Negger and uh, Tess Thompson, wasn't it? But, yeah, so. and it's actually getting a lot of um, it's getting a lot of traction and conversation around this, mm. and I think it's you know quite rightly so because it's something that I wasn't I wasn't aware of happened um, so freely back in the twenties and, and was such a commonplace occurrence. But look, I think if you're wanting to kind of get a really in depth uh, discussion on that, then check our other review of it um on our pre last week's uh, off screen because uh, we do go into quite a lot of detail about that and obviously the book that was written around the time and things like that so uh that is passing on netflix for you uh which is out on wednesday next week we then have to end everything and god i'm sorry that we have to end stuff on this because it might feel like a bit of a drag and it is it's ad astra on amazon prime on wednesday i mean even brad pitt couldn't save this <laughs> I mean, you say even Brad Pitt's a hell of a cast in Ad Astra. I mean, I, I, I described it to you colloquially as just, it's Apocalypse Now in Space. This was James Gray's movie. Well, this was late 2019, I think. Uh, custom made for an IMAX screen. Like, there's no other place you, you'd enjoy this. But I think now with us all, since lockdown, the number of us that seem to have large-scale 4K UHD TVs with built-in smart apps... It seems to have shot through the roof. So it's actually worth checking out for the opening sequence alone. Also, mm. where else are you going to see a gunfight on the moon that's actually scientifically accurate? Come on! Uh, Tommy yeah. Lee Jones playing Brad Pitt's dad. I mean, Brad Pitt is the, the astronaut sent into space to, you know, resolve a threat that seems to be uh, being brought about at the hands of his presumed dead father. I've got the explanation for you right here. Major, what can you tell us about the Lima Project? First manned expedition to the outer solar system, sir. Some 29 years ago. And the commander was? It was my father, sir. The ship disappeared approximately 16 years into the mission. And no data was ever recovered. Deep space missions were halted after that. Well, Roy, we have something that might come as quite a shock to you. We believe your father is still alive near Neptune. My father's alive, sir? We believe so. You know what? I remember going into the screening for this and being really excited about like what, what I was hoping the film would be. Mm. And I was actually kind of, bar the first scene, I was actually just kind of willing it to get better, but it just went on and on and on and just, <laughs> it was this slow drag. And I felt yeah. really, like, I felt really flat at the end of it. And I think... It's such a shame because Brad Pitt in space would have been a great movie. If he'd have done something along the lines of The Martian, right, with that kind yeah. of balance of humour, that was better for him. But, like, you know, if he'd have managed to do something with, with you know, the, a slight comedic, but yet still straight down the line feel to it. There's, there's something there. But this being too brooding and serious in this just doesn't work for me at all. No, bro brooding Brad is not really a sellable asset, no. really, is it? Like Martian Brad you could do. 
but, yes. you know, brooding Brad less so. Uh, my my yeah. thing, I, I agree with you on that. I came out quite flat. I mean, there's some great spectacles, some great visuals. That's why I say this is worth checking out just if you want to show off your uh, your 4K TV. Your big screen. Yeah, but this is this is not like Doom. You can't just sell Even if you're bored, you can't just carry this out on the, the visuals of it. It's just, it's a novelty, but it is a novelty that wears thin. But you know what? It's there. Yeah. It's on Amazon Prime, Wednesday the 10th. You know, give it a check if you want to show off that shiny screen of yours. Absolutely. And that wraps us up for another great week here on Offscreen. Now, very interesting, very interestingly, Van is going to be joining us next week from across the pond, which is exciting. Uh, as the borders have opened and we are allowed to travel, Van is, we are going global with Offscreen. So we're really looking forward to bringing you our international version of this, but we are still going to bring you all of the, those great movies on the big screen, the small screen, and everything in between. But for now, I've been Bex Perfect. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. <laughs>